0: It's time for building the building the game with Jason and friends, for a table top building the game which is game, with fun
1: end of
0: the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday december 14th and you're listening to episode 446 as always i'm your host jason here today hanging out with a good friend of mine a co-designer uh the designer of back to the future dice through time and also the Mansky caper i am with ken franklin hey ken how's it going
1: i am blessed beyond my ability to calculate good to good to be talking with you jason
0: You too, you too. Uh, So we have known each other for quite a while now, and you're one of those people that I'm always like, I need to get Ken on the show. Uh, And even I I was kind of postponing, because I was like, I'm going to get Ken to come to my house and record with me, because you live 15 minutes from my house. But then 2020 happened, (laughs) and we find ourselves on video, I mean, on uh, audio here, recording over the internets.
1: Well, I'm very happy that we are farther into this pandemic than we have left of it. It's
0: Me too. Good Me to too. feel
1: that we are definitely past the midpoint.
0: Yes, yes. And uh, things things appear to be, hopefully, taking the right path here now. And uh, yeah, so I, I know I've...
1: I'm going to go on record here and say the vac- none of the vaccines will cause a zombie apocalypse. Just letting you know that.
0: The good news is, that if you're wrong, I mean, like, who's going to go back and check this recording, <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: I I'll, I'll be happy to put put money on it.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um yeah, there was uh there was that case where like th- I guess mink's were getting COVID and were possibly like a vector for spreading it in some other country. So they they uh euthanized a bunch of them, but I don't know if they just did like a bad job with it, but some of them were not dead. So they were like, "Oh no, there's zombie mink's running around." Um like, like so they were yeah. just
1: they were just stoned, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, cosmic virus, man.
0: Yeah. So well, hey, so zombie apocalypse aside though, it's it's uh it's great to have you on. I know um like me, you've been pretty active in doing playtesting and such, uh using a lot of tabletop simulator.
1: I've been to a couple of been to a couple of protospiel Michigans, which I thoroughly enjoyed.
0: Yeah. I haven't done that yet. Um, they work, they're working pretty well online.
1: Um, actually I will be on the staff for a protospiel online. That's coming in early January. Uh, protospiel has a, uh, discord channel and they have regular testing weekends, but, uh, but then they have big protospiel online events and, uh, I've tested a couple things on there. Yeah.
0: Awesome. You uh you know Heather then? Very I well. I know she's worked quite yeah, I Heather's have Heather's great.
1: I have a great Heather story.
0: Yes, uh, all right. At
1: the last Proto Michigan, they had a uh, game design challenge where each of the three teams had a actually, actually I had five teams, had a bag of components and you had to use all the components to design a game and prepare the pitch for it in 60 minutes. Wow. And Heather and Scott Rogers and Eric and CC Highland and myself were on one team, and we knocked it out of the park. And I still have that game here because we may actually try to put it together. Uh, Nice. Nice. It had uh, plastic My Little Pony figures from the dime store. Uh, let's see here. I'm just pulling this bag here. Uh, it had, uh, little blue cubes that you had to use. Uh, let's see. There were, uh, purple medicine cups, foam pieces, foam pieces, and then little colored, uh, wooden sticks in various colors. And we designed, and we designed a tech tree. Tech tree building, worker placement, area control, <laughs> civilization game of mutating ponies into winged pegasus.
0: Wow, you covered all the bases on that. That went places.
1: <laughs> and that's how we introduced, started the pitch, and everybody else just said, okay, it's done. <laughs> yeah, we had that's so awesome. much fun.
0: Well, sounds like you had a, I, I know most of those people on that list. That's a pretty good team you had there. Yes, so. we did. Um, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I haven't been able to get to any of the online conventions yet. Um, I, I struggle trying to do those because one of the things that I've mentioned before on the show that keeps me going to conventions is that I can schedule them and I can go, and then I'm not in the house. Yes. Um, so like uh, which I love being in my house, to love my family. But if I want to be at a convention, it's hard to do both. And yes. so being here and being focused on a convention is real tough. That's yeah. why usually I'm recording at night or doing tabletop simulator during the day when they're doing school. Right. Uh, still in the house, just not with me. <laughs> yeah,
1: No, I didn't attend uh, PAX on uh, PAX online. I didn't attend Gen Con online any of those, because you're right, it's, it's just not the same. The ambiance and the ability to to go from one event to another is really, a, I think, a central part of the experience. But, hey, real soon, it'll be happening again. Oh, by the way, I do want to criticize you. I just want you to know that you are not yet a perfect carbon-based life form, Jason. Uh, you, I was
0: aware, but I do take criticism, so please, well, shoot. You,
1: you mentioned the Mansky caper, and you mentioned Back to the Future Dice Through Time, but you failed to mention Imagineers, which I did with uh, Chris Leader. Oh,
0: my gosh. You're right. I did fail to mention and that. And you
1: failed, wow. to mention, failed to mention Surro Phoenix Rising, which I was part of the four-person design team on that.
0: That is Actually, I didn't know that. I, I knew you did some development work on it. I had forgotten that you uh, were one of the designers on that. Yep. Um, I, cause I actually played that. That's, um, I played that uh, two years ago, I think, uh, in one of the early stages, uh, with you and Chris, uh, at your house. Right. So yes, no, I did. You're right. I forgot. I, you know, Imagineers didn't come out that long ago, but we always joke, right? It feels like seven years ago from, you know, when it came out because of this year, um yeah, yeah, I know. And I've never I'm bummed I've not actually been able to try Imagineer. So next time we physically get together someday, oh, I would to. love to actually try that.
1: Yeah, you'll have a lot of fun. It okay, looks like Ryan right, oh, Wait a minute, my watch says you can stop feeling guilty now. Okay, the time's expired, but you can get on with it.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so so you uh you thought of a topic that yes. we're gonna chat about today that I'm pretty excited about, and yeah. it's something that is is something very important to you in game design, and yes. and I don't think about it as much as you do, but it is something that I really enjoy as well. So, I'm gonna let you introduce it, and then we're gonna we're gonna have a chat.
1: All right. Well, I'm a big believer that uh, getting around the uh, game table is something that benefits everybody, whether they win or lose. I am. I don't enjoy time around the table where uh, one person's on one side. Smiling and victorious and the other person is demoralized. So I believe in the no. non, non-zero-sum game. On a meta level, I believe it's important because everybody has a good time no matter whether they win or lose. But also, if you can put non-zero-sum gaming into the mechanic, you can have some of the most satisfying experiences possible. No. Um, and the first example I would bring up Uh, would be Concordia. Have you played Concordia? Yeah.
0: I have not played Concordia.
1: Okay. Concordia is a game where you're around the Mediterranean in the the Roman Empire kind of era and you're sailing around establishing markets, establishing um, your presence for a political level, but you're trying to build an engine to trade resources and gain uh, points and money. But almost every action you do also provides a benefit to every other player around the table. For example, when when you play a card that says, I'm going to gain resources in Spain, then you get resources in Spain, but so does everybody else who's in Spain. And, mm, okay mm-hmm. and that means that uh, that means you have to take actions if they're going to help you, they're going to help somebody else so you have to get over that and you have to accept that and once you do you find out it opens up all sorts of new strategies but uh, there's very little take that you know you're just trying to make sure that you're building your engine faster than you're helping others build their engines. Uh, which I I think is a wonderful puzzle to solve.
0: That is, you know, it, one of the games that pops into my head that kind of fits in that motif um, and then strays from it a bit, and it's not as fun when it strays from it, is Machi Koro, right? You've got the, we all have our own places, but when I roll a dice, everyone benefits. Yes. Um, but then there are those take that cards right. where I can... And, and I would just as soon just throw those out of the game um, <laughs> yep. because they're just not, I mean, they're just not, they make the game less fun, right? Yep. Because part of it is we all benefit, right? right. And, um, you know, yeah. So that's... And that's Machi Karo
1: now, those choices are kind of given to you by the dice, although how you build your village determines how often that happens. Uh, but, you know, you see somebody getting a, a good card uh, that's, that provides a benefit no matter who rolls the dice, you want in on that because you don't want one person getting right. the benefit of it. But I'll give you another example that you might not think of as a non-zero-sum game, and it's Ticket to Ride. I play a lot of Ticket to Ride face-to-face, but I also play a lot of it online. And mm-hmm. there there are a couple of distinct strategies. One strategy is... I'm going to work on my route. You're going to work on your route. Yeah, I might have to get to this choke point first, but I'm not going to deliberately interfere with your route. And I have some friends who come to game night who like to block the route. And if you get on the online community on the Days of Wonder site, people who do that are almost universally shunned. It ruins the game experience for everybody. Not only that, but energy... Energy that you spend blocking other people's routes usually ends up wasting more of your resources than it hurts the other person. Because as you're right. not sure where they're going. You might mistake where they're going and block something that they don't care about, or or they already have two ideas and you just force them to shift. But that time right. you spent is time that you're absolutely not doing anything to help your own case. So the superior strategy yeah. and the most fun experience is from working beside each other as you go along.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, I, I love in games where those choices to just be kind or not purposely block someone. I, I was recently introduced to a new game by GameRite called Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a little tiny roll and right? It's like 10 bucks. I'd highly recommend it. Um, you, you roll the dice and you pick a die and then you color in the number of flowers that you have as much as you can with that color die. Um, and then there's a wild die, too. And what I noticed was and I loved this uh, was that myself, it was myself, my wife and my mom playing. And we were all consciously choosing to not take the wild die if we didn't need it. Mm-hmm. So if I had a five orange and I really wanted a five orange, but there was also a five wild. If I wanted to be a jerk, I could just take the five wild because that limits everyone else's options. Um, but it never occurred to any of us to do that. I was like, Oh, well, the orange does it for me. Why would I block anyone else? Yeah. You know, that's not what kind of game this is. Right. Um, and, and,
1: and the goal of yeah. games is to have a good time. So why force a mechanic that, dampens the fun that people are going to have
0: yep yeah i do feel like there are quite a few games you know hundreds thousands probably uh games where you know they've they've kind of pushed in a little bit of take that mm-hmm. because somebody says you need some player interaction and they're like oh i need player interaction i guess i'll have to put in something mean
1: yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> which is too bad right and that's that was a criticism that was sometimes leveled against Mansky Keeper. Uh, you know, that th- there's take that because I'm going, uh, you know, it game, it's a game where you're ransacking a mobster's house and you're pulling from a safe and you have to split with whoever else is in the room. And sometimes there's a kamikaze strategy where you see somebody in a room who's got a bunch of stuff and you're going to go in there and try to destroy the room so that that other person loses their stuff. However, mm-hmm. that that strategy loses more than it gains because if you pull a treasure that you split, you've helped that person score and they're out of there the next turn. And they're right, safe with right. their Uh And again, Mansky Keeper in my mind is a non-zero-sum game because of the favor mechanic where uh, you have a special ability. I can't, You can't use it, but if I call in a favor to you, you have to use your ability to help me. So... There's lots of negotiation for let me help you that is Mm -hmm. central to the player interaction and has almost no take that.
0: That is one of my favorite things. I think that might be my absolute favorite thing um, about Mansky Caper is the favor system where, you know, normally in a game you have a special ability and you are the one who uses that and it maybe has a cost or whatever. Um, and that, first of all, as a game designer, and you know this too, makes balancing really hard <laughs> because Incredibly hard. everyone has to be perfect, right? Um, But what you did was you did the opposite and said, I have a special ability. People can pay me to use the special ability. And what I get is I get a favor token, which I can then use on someone else. Um, But what you get is, you know, you get my ability. Right. Um, and I, I that was the first time... You showed me that game that was so foreign to me, but I loved it, and I've remembered that ever since because I I just think that that's a it's a really it's a really nice mechanic. Thank um, you. That really helps people work together.
1: Yeah. Now there's a couple other games I'd I'd like to mention in this. And uh, of course, yeah. yeah, Um, Tiny Epic Galaxies by Scott Alms. Mm -hmm. Every every action you take, other people have a chance to follow. So if you don't take the action, they don't get to follow. But you have to do it knowing full well that others will get a benefit from it. And then um, right. and then, um, race for the galaxy and roll for the galaxy are classic ideas where if I pick this phase of the turn to go, everybody else can do it. I might get a little bit extra benefit. But the only things that will happen are the things that at least one of us wants to do. And so one of the key strategies of it is saying, well, I'm not going to select this phase because I know that other person's going to pick that phase, so I can get something else done and benefit from it. So you're constantly looking mm-hmm. for ways that you're both working at the same time. Again, non-zero-sum. Yeah, I don't do it at the expense of your turn. I do it in a you know, knowing that you're going to get a benefit as well, I have to make sure that the benefits a little greater for myself.
0: Right. You know, when I, I just, the whole concept is so appealing to me. And I think part of the reason is I am someone who can get wrapped up in competition, right? Like I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and pretend that I don't like to win. Sure. I like, I like to win games. I like, I like the feeling of feeling like I'm the the good I'm the best player, right? Mm-hmm. Um and for many years, uh, as the listeners of the show know, and I promise not to talk about this much, but I played a lot of competitive games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, heads up competitive games, and those are quintessential zero sum games, right? At the end, especially in tournaments, uh, one person will be happy and the other person will be unhappy. Um pa- Paging Queen's Gambit.
1: S- paging Queen's Gambit.
0: Right, right. <laughs> We have still have four more episodes to go on that. I can't wait to get that done.
1: (laughs) Chess and backgammon are classic zero sum games. There's no point score. It's either win or lose. And that's it.
0: Right. And you know, that, that mentality, it it can be a little, it can be a little addictive, right? Mm -hmm. Because that feeling of cleverness, right? Um, it feels really good to be like, oh, I outmatched my opponent, you know, and mm-hmm. um, in in so like I, I think that that's one of the thing that's things that's drawn me to games where, um, you know, people everyone can have fun and the game is about having fun, right? right. It's not just about winning, um, in games where you can help each other and work together, um, because it pulls away from that. Uh, mentality. But, th- but the other thing that's always been important to me as a, as a designer, I think because of that is that need to make players feel clever, mm-hmm. that need to make players feel like I just pulled something off. Like, right. was that even in the rules? Because I feel like I just cheated just a little bit when I did that really cool thing. Because that feeling is, I think, like what I was always chasing. It wasn't just the like dominating an opponent. It was the feeling of, look how good at this game I am. Like that was epic. Like that was what, what a cool move. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to build that into the rules of a game where it's not negative for everyone else. I mean, that's, that's, that's the designer goal, right. Is to, I did something awesome, but I, I did it because the game allowed me to, without it being destructive to everyone else.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I hit this point. I think it's important to, Um, differentiate for for the listeners the difference between a cooperative game and a non-zero-sum game, which I like to describe as a collaborative game.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Cooperative games are big right now with good reason, and I think they're incredibly healthy for our our society. We're Mm -hmm. We're playing Pandemic Legacy Season Zero right now. Phenomenal game. And, you know, Forbidden, forbidden Island, Forbidden Sky, yep. Forbidden Desert, yep. where we're going to beat the game is a wonderful itch that, you know, nobody thought about eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Matt Leacock, we bow before you. Yeah. Oh. Rob, no, my,
0: my, family's, my family's current favorite game is Marvel United, mm-hmm. which is a co-op game by Eric Lang. Right. Um, and uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, we love it because we work together and we win and we lose together. And when we lose, it was still a shared thing, right? Right. Nobody went home uh upset by losing. Of course we can't go home because we all live here, but
1: right. But did but, you but, know that we, did you know that they reskinned that with a SpongeBob SquarePants theme? I did not know that. There is a SpongeBob SquarePants Plankton Rising that is built on the rising engine. <laughs> uh, but, That's hilarious. Yeah. You know, now another collaborative game that is sort of cooperative uh is Dead of Winter. Dead of right. Winter Yeah you know, classic if you if this if the zombies kill us, they kill all of us and we all lose. But each of us has a secret objective and we don't win unless our private objective happens. And that may be one right. that is at the cost of the other players, or it may be one that's just I get a little more than my share. And the, right, the right. first time we played it, we played a five-person game. We had a great time, but we got so wrapped up on cooperating that none of us won. Oh, that's awesome. All of us failed to achieve our personal objective, but we all survived. Right.
0: So it's kind of like you all won then, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but according to the rules, we all lost because nobody... Right, 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 So And we had a great yeah, time. Yeah, we...
0: We've always referred to the collaborative games as I like collaborative better. We always called them competitive games. Oh, yeah. So it was you You work together. It's if we all lose, we all lose. But, you know, only one of us gets to win. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I like that term. That was Jason Sligeland being clever again, folks.
0: <laughs> it wasn't. I don't remember whose term that was. <laughs> it, it was not mine, but uh, I've been using it for years because I, I liked it. Um
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. A um, couple other less uh, common discussion. Uh, camel up is a is a um, non zero sum game because all of the camels, yeah. none of the camels belong to anybody.
0: Right, you're so, right.
1: So you know that anytime you're moving a camel, you're helping somebody else, and you hope it's helping you more. Yep. Uh, so you're you're wrapped up in the timing and the puzzle of which actions you're going to take to increase your income after the race is over. But again, you're all faced with the same race that doesn't belong to anybody. Um, another one is Stockpile. Phenomenal game. Have you ever played Stockpile?
0: Stockpile, I haven't tried. Camel up many times, but Stockpile, I haven't. Uh,
1: Stockpile by Seth Van Orden. I saw it presented at my second um, protospiel. And it blew me away, and uh, I'm a big Seth Van Orden fan. Um, in Stockpile, you're trying, you're looking at the stock market for these um, six different stocks, but at, at, you each have a piece of hidden information. Each of you knows what's going to happen to one stock. Okay, right, but okay. but the other people don't know which ones and then at what's going to happen is every person is dealt two cards and they have to put them into a number of piles equal to the n- number of players and you place one face up and one face down and so you're trying with the face up card to entice others to pick that pile and. Maybe take the attention away from the pile that you secretly want. Except everybody, right. everybody's contributing to the pile, and so everybody is putting <laughs> stuff there that they know is going to help somebody else. Ah. so you can't survive without giving up something to the other players. And then there's an auction where you auction off the piles, and that gets a little more cutthroat. But uh, but the but the, <laughs> the core of creating the stock piles is making decisions that you know are going to benefit the group.
0: I think one of the other things that kind of pops into my head as a really good benefit Mm -hmm. to a zero-sum game is, especially in the hobby game market, is that it feels more approachable, right? Mm -hmm. Because it feels like you're less likely... To just come in and just flop, right? Because you, I haven't played the game before, you know. And, um, but if, if everyone is doing things that are benefiting me, right, then it helps me kind of stay on track. It helps me maybe know a little bit more about what to do, um, you know, than just in a cutthroat game where there's a lot of take that and, you know, you can get picked on or you've just got, You know, you're just, you're just losing because you don't know enough about the game. You're too new at it.
1: Right. Or you could just, you could just give up on gaming altogether because you're not having a good time.
0: Right. Right. You know, I know you, you play with, I mean, the, when I've come to your game nights, I am just in awe of the diversity of the group of people there of, you know, where to where I would never expect some of those people to be at a game night that I would have ever went to. Right? right. Not that I would have not went to the game night with, with those people, but meaning like they wouldn't have thought to come to a game night. Right. Um, you know, you have a lot of people from, like, you have a lot of older people who I, who aren't of a generation, like, you know, that would play a lot of hobby games. Right. right. Um, and yeah. And I just feel like, it's it's great. Yeah. It's great to see that to um, have an
1: eight year old and an eighty year old sitting down at a table, understanding each other, competing on a level playing field, and both smiling, is the goal of our game nights, and that's right. It's and I consider it a ministry. Uh, we have people who have come to game night. Remember game nights a year ago?
0: I do. I loved them. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, well, they'll have. They'll be come back again. Uh, But the goal was to get people to get to know each other, people that they would never even look at each other as they walked down the street. And uh, the number of friendships we've built is huge. And uh, I'm I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it was a really cool thing to see. And it was one where, like, I could bring my, you know, at the time, seven year old kid over and he could he could play games because there were games for everyone and it was set up so that everybody could have fun and, and play games. And, um, you know, and it helps that you own even more games than I do, <laughs> which is saying something because <laughs> so I've got more than a few. Um, but yeah, your house is set up very well for that too, where there's all these different stations where you can be playing in. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, but no, I, I, I think that y- and I watch you choose games. Um, that that really you know uh really entice people right and really make people feel like it's not you know okay i can play this game yeah this isn't you know this isn't too much for me and and then suddenly it snowballs and you've got people who would never have played a game five years ago playing games that you know are are you know long-term gamers are playing right Right. and I, i think that's so cool
1: yeah that gets me uh thinking about uh one of the party games you know as you know when we start our game nights we usually Start with a party game uh, to get the ice broken. And one of my favorite party games Mm -hmm. to start with is Hive Mind by Calliope. Uh, That's a good one. uh, It's it's great because it forces you to think of the other person's brain. Uh, One of our 80-year-old players who is very literate, very smart, and has had an astounding life. When when she started playing Hive Mind, she wanted to have the clever answer. And she'd come up with some uh-huh. incredibly clever answers. But in Hive Mind, your score is based on how many answers you give that agree with other people. Right. And so right. she's not
0: categories. You no, don't want it different. <laughs>
1: right. So so she the first three rounds, she was losing. And she didn't like that at all. But the light bulb went on and she said okay i now i need to start thinking like a junior high school person or a 20 something or a 40 something and she right, never, right. she never lost around again and so oh, we we built a circuit in her brain that says think about other people from different backgrounds and that to me yep. was the super win
0: yeah absolutely no, absolutely i i by the way have used you as an excuse for buying so many games uh, <laughs> because because you do you you like to start with a party game and uh because of your game nights off the top of my head i've bought um i've bought dead man's draw not a party game but no. um but i experienced it for the first time at your place uh hive mind yes. um the, the table is lava uh which is my kids love that game <laughs> uh, just one mm-hmm. uh, which by the way I you know you know this but for any listeners out there just one is like made for zoom Absolutely. it's so perfect for zoom uh, we've played it with some friends online and it's just been fantastic so I highly recommend that to people uh, to check that out
1: have you tried wavelength so, yeah, I- wavelength
0: I haven't yet. Yes. Um, that is one that I want to try, but I haven't had a chance to yet.
1: It's another great one for, for Zoom. Uh, we, set up the, we set up the wheel uh, on my iPad camera, and then we have face-to-face discussions as we're going through it. And, uh, and it's, again, it, it draws people together, draws people to try and understand where other people are coming from. Uh, in Wavelength, you have this random wheel, and you have a sweet spot. That is a different place each time. One person is a psychic and they are, they are shown the sweet spot and then closed. And then they are given a spectrum. Things that are soft to things that are hard. So the softest thing in the universe is on one side. The hardest thing in the universe is on the other side. And they know where the sweet spot is. And they have to come up with something that tells the other people where that sweet spot is. So if oh, it's wow. So if it's a little bit to the softer side, um, a little bit you know, a little to the softer side, they might say balsa wood. And other people say, balsa wood, oh, that's pretty soft. Well, you know, buddy, you know, it's 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 harder than tapioca. Yeah, It's you know, not pudding. <laughs> yeah, it's not pudding, you know, it's it's not play-doh. And so they have these discussions, and you'll be astounded at how many times that one clue will get people close to the right answer. Uh and it and again that's a wonderful experience because people have a sense of accomplishment when they get it exactly right.
0: Right, right. Um Code Names is another really good game for that. Okay. Uh I still remember the very first game I ever played uh at one of your game nights uh or it was a Kencon. I don't remember which one I went to first, but uh, I sat down and I played Codenames with you. Uh, first game, like I literally just walked in. I still had my jacket on. You're like, sit down, we're playing Codenames, and um, so we started playing Codenames. And it got down to we needed two um, to win. The other team needed Chris Leader. I think was on the other team. They needed one, so it was it was a done deal, right? We win or we lose on this guess. And you gave the clue mere sham, um, <laughs> and. <laughs> And everybody was like, uh, and I was like, it's ivory and it's flute. And it was, <laughs> and <laughs> I knew it immediately when you said that. Um, and like those moments that that creates um, that, you know, those type of moments that you create in games like that. Um, you don't forget those moments, right? That's
1: right. Um, I probably should tell the audience what a KenCon is. Um, it, it, it's oh, yeah, not, sorry. It, it's not a monument to myself, please. please. I don't. I don't enjoy those moments at all. But uh, my beautiful bride, Debbie, uh, about four years ago, four or five years ago, said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, well, I don't really want anything, but I would love to have a game convention. Mm -hmm. And so we started this uh, practice where your entry fee into the convention was a bag of uh, non-perishable groceries to be donated to the food bank. And then we'd had We'd have six to eight tables set up and people could come and go all day. And we've had uh, over 50 people in the house, all playing games at the same time. Boy, is yep. that a great time. And that they're was, a lot of fun. That was that game of code names was at a KenCon.
0: Yeah. Oh, was it? It was, yeah. I was the first game I ever played. Uh, I'd already played Codenames before, uh, but it was just like one of those moments where you're like, I will never forget this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that reminds me. Another game that I bought because of uh, one of your game nights was Crosstalk. Also, another fantastic another, um, game another that...
1: Seth Van Orden game. Yes.
0: Oh, is it okay? Yeah. yeah, helps you really helps you think about the way other people are thinking. And um, I've showed that game to several different groups of people, and they've all loved it.
1: Yeah, it's it's classic because you have to give a clue that is connecting with your team. But makes the other team go, hmm? because after you give <laughs> your clue, the other team gets to guess first.
0: Right. Yep.
1: And uh, yeah, that's a, a that's a, a game for the hardcore party gamers. When you got new people, code names doesn't work so well because they don't they haven't connected to the other people in the room. But if you got a group that's all played together seven or eight times, uh, cross is a great one to get out.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. So, so what do you think, like, um, with, with the non-zero sum games as a game designer, what, what would your advice be or some suggestions for other game designers when they're thinking about their designs and they're saying, you know, I want to, I want to design a game that falls more in this non-zero sum, uh, aspect. What, what, what are some tips you would give them?
1: Well, first of all, I know there are some game designers who hate victory points. Uh, you have to have some sort of currency to play a non-zero-sum game because there are transactions mm-hmm. that are going to benefit incrementally. And you got to have some sort of currency. So that's the first thing you think about. Second of all, you've got to think about working toward the very close outcome. Okay? Because of tight Game just like winning a horse race by a nose is exciting and exhilarating. Yep, without anybody being crushed, you also have to have some sort of catch up mechanic where if I'm getting in the lead, it gets harder for me to be in the lead because then you select the you so you know if you've got one of those moves that puts you ahead but makes you fall behind. quite a ways, you know that's going to be a losing strategy. But if you can pick one that gives somebody else a benefit and give a little bit more, that's going to be a much more enjoyable thing. And so leave those choices Mm -hmm. in there, but help people learn that those choices are going to cost them. Uh, Tokaido is a great example of this. Uh, Also also Patchwork. You can play a massively great play that gets you a big benefit, but then you have to sit there and watch other people take six turns before you get your next yep. shot. And absolutely. And it's, a, and it's a, you end up shooting yourself in the foot. So think about offering people the choice, but designing the balance of uh, benefits so that people will gravitate toward the ones that are mutually beneficial, even though it's slightly better for you.
0: Yep. No, that's that is really good advice and, for sure.
1: And as with all game design, test it, test it, test it.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: Test it, test it, test it. And one of the things you're going to look at while people are playing the game is is somebody getting sitting back disgusted because they think they're they're out of the game. Is somebody yeah. not being included in the process? If they're going to take a turn and get crushed, and take a turn and get crushed, they'll never play that game again. That's not what you want. You want something that makes, when everybody's deciding what to do, you want everybody leaning in. And that's uh, mm-hmm. what Chris Leder describes, the Manski Keeper. Every time somebody's about to pull from the safe, everybody's leaning forward in their seat. Right, um, right. Yeah. So you want to design those moments. And you don't necessarily want a, a track around the outside like you have with, uh, with, with, um, stone age or ticket to ride where you see where everybody stands because somebody gets out far ahead it's demoralizing uh you want it to be not quite perfect information how far along people are until the end of the game
0: right right Um, though stone age is one that makes me crack up because new players are always like look how far ahead i am and i'm like yeah just wait till the end game buddy
1: exactly right
0: (laughs) i'm going to lap you
1: (laughs) (laughs) um a game that's just coming out and i'm gonna brag on this because I played it just this morning, uh, and again, I work for Clappy Games part time. This is part of the the new Kickstarter that's just wrapping up on Clappy. Is allegory, where you're collecting these cards and you're collecting them in three suits, and at the end of the game, the the suit with the least with the lowest score is your final score. So you're constantly working to keep them balanced. Um, the winning score was four to four to five to six. Wow. And everybody, nobody felt like they were out of it at any particular time. Lots of different strategic routes people took. One person was hoarding. Mm-hmm. One person was hoarding money because there's, there's an, an auction bid in it. Um, I was, uh, setting traps to where other people would take a card and, and I'd get a, <coughs> excuse me, I'd get a card that didn't hurt me for cheap. Uh, and other people were collecting sets and, and you're trying to bluff people as to what you're trying to collect for. Um, lots of different things that are all equally interesting strategies. And then, and you, but you, nobody knows what the score is going to be until the end.
0: Very cool. Yeah, no, I know. I I saw that the only one I'd put in there was Mass Transit, which mm-hmm. is also a lot of fun. Yeah. I played a really early version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, at it might have been at that same Kencon or at a game night, but because Chris Leader was there, which right. I know he's not normally at the regular game nights because it's a drive. So, right.
1: yeah, uh, Kev, Kevin Rogers and, and Chris Leader really knocked it out of the park for that one because you get all of the joy of a tense, cooperative game. Uh, the use of incomplete information prevents quarterbacking. The alpha player coming mm-hmm. in telling everybody what to, what to do, but yep, you you win or you lose in fifteen minutes. But it's an action-packed fifteen minutes.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. I don't. I, the version I played. I don't know how far off it was from the final version. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was very like tense and action-packed. You know, and uh, and it was a riot.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so again, those are the things you want to look for in in a um, what did you say competitive game? Um, yes,
0: yes. You yes. want to
1: you want to keep it keep it close. You want to keep people engaged, but you want to keep people engaged by by punishing the person who becomes self serving, and that means you have to make the collaborative action self-helping and that way you're teaching the strategy of thinking of others while you're thinking of yourself which is yep my hidden agenda obviously
0: right not a bad thing to do in life either so we
1: kind (laughs) of need a dose of that right now don't you think
0: yes we do yes we do um awesome well that was a fun discussion and uh Everybody enjoyed that, and some good tips on some games to go check out too, if you're interested more in non-zero sum games or party games, because we talked about quite a few of those too. Right. Um, so now, now it's time for practicing the pitch, and uh, you're going to talk about a game that I'm a pretty big fan of um, for reasons that will be uh, come to light here. <laughs> right.
1: Well, um, again, uh, people don't know I am a retired family physician who's played and designed games since I was five. And I retired from medicine in 2017 and said, God, I'm going to do anything you want to do with my life. I've already, you know, I've been pretty much, you know, doing the, doing the big career move. What's next? And God made it clear that he wanted me to be a game designer. Break my heart. uh, (laughs) I've, uh, and that's been an incredible ride ever since, but the the game that's been on my heart since that moment is wanting to create a game where the victory condition is creating the most positive relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I have uh, inherited, I've uh, asked a collaborator, an incredible collaborator named, uh, <laughs> Jay, named Jason Slingerland to help me design this game. And he's, he's okay. A, he's all right. He's, Made some brilliant insights that really helped get it closer. And uh, it's right now being considered at uh, uh, a publisher. It's We'll see what happens. Um, yeah. It's called the Candlelight Project. And each person starts with 20 tokens that represent Candlelight or positivity. And then each card in the deck is represents a person. The 50-card deck that comes with it is 50 pictures from um, the website thispersondoesnotexist.com, uh, where they're you know they're completely uh, digitally generated and don't represent mm-hmm. any human being. And then you give them a random name, which we picked from the the 500 most common first names, last names, um, men's names, women's names for worldwide mm-hmm. so it's intentionally diverse
0: yeah very much so
1: and uh and each of those cards a person has um three uh subjects that they like to communicate about that might be faith it might be animals it might be uh food it might be music um there's a, a group there it might be politics Sports. And they, uh, sports, yeah. And then there's one topic that there's a the hot-button topic. So if somebody has a hot-button topic, and somebody says, yeah, how about them Wolverines? You know sparks are going to fly.
0: <laughs> okay? Yep. Um,
1: and so each person has those cards. And there's, along again, around the edges, there are connections that represent things that people have in common that would help them reach a positive relationship to so the depth of the relationship. So on each turn you play, a, you either play a card and then enhance that relationship with your candlelight based on, on how successful, you know, their interests line up or you, you move and your, and your point of view is one of those two people, or you move your point of view through the connections of all the people that are on your network and the farther you move, the more people you can get involved, the more candlelight you can place. So mm-hmm. it is in your interest to not only have short, intense relationships, but also to make them part of a web of people who have connections. Uh and uh, I think it's a lot of fun to play, and it's and it only takes twenty minutes to play a game of it. Would you say that? that's about right? 30? Yeah, yeah, and,
0: yep, yeah. Twenty to thirty. It really, you know, I I know when we've replayed it with groups who've already played it, it goes real quick. Yeah, once and, you know the, the gist of it.
1: And and the thing that I hope we can do, I and this is the pie in the sky thing, is if you get the box, there'd be a coupon in it. And they'd say, "Give us your name. I'll go to this website, enter your name, uh, give us a give us a profile picture of yourself, and pick which of these subjects are your positives and which one is your hot button. And then you pay a couple bucks, and in the back you get a Magic the Gathering foil packet that's twelve copies of you." Yes. And then you go to other people who have the game, say at a convention when conventions happens. Says here, here's me. May I have a copy of you? And pretty soon that 50 card deck, instead of being 50 imaginary people, are actually your circle of friends. And yep, so you're yep. playing that game with other people that you care about. And I have the hope that that something like that would become a viral phenomenon.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's. It's when you came to me with the idea, it sounded so unique and so cool. And it's been really, really fun working on it. Um, One thing I don't think you mentioned, unless I just missed it, was with the candlelight you're spreading, um, you can actually use like some of the candlelight you have has the, the topics on them. Right. And you can actually cover up a hot button issue on someone's.
1: And turn it um, into a positive issue. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and
0: give yes. them a positive thing to talk about, um, which could be the same thing or it can be something else that they don't have as a topic at all. Right. And it's it's cool because then that increases that decreases penalties for placing next to them and trying to have conversations, uh, but also increases scoring. And it increases them, as you might guess, for anyone that interacts with that player. That's exactly so, right. Yeah.
1: Well, Uh, I'm going to step into the narrator here and notice the conversational trick that Ken (laughs) used to entice Jason to fill in the hole, thus making this a collaborative discussion about a collaborative game. We now return (laughs) you to your podcast. Yes, I was very thankful that you did that. I've left that there just for you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I just, it's something that bends people's brains, but I think it's a way that people's brains need to be bent. Uh, we have to realize that you do not have to take from somebody else for you to increase. Uh, right. There is plenty of joy and and, and uh, happiness to be had if you start thinking about others as well as yourself.
0: Yep. It's funny because the literally the only piece of take that-ish thing that we have in the entire game is... If you pass through someone and therefore interrupt their conversation, you have to basically in lieu of saying, excuse me, uh, they uh you, they give you one of the candlelights from their reserve uh, right. for you to take, um, which you've chosen to do that because you're choosing to move through them. Um, so it's this interesting, you know, interplay of, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through here and, and possibly take an option you were interested in. But in turn, I'm going to take one of your candlelight chips to make your life easier. So right.
1: because the goal is to get rid of all your candlelight. So you're so you're reducing your score by imposing on somebody else. And you're improving right. their score because you have to seek reconciliation, which is a good thing to be doing.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. Use a little bit of that nowadays. Mm-hmm. A lot yep. of bit of that, really. But
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, it's actually uh in, Using the word reconciliation, I uh, I met the author of The Shack several years ago. Debbie surprised me by taking me to a place where he was speaking, William Paul Young. Oh, wow. Astounding Beautiful. guy. And we, we got to speak for, a, have a conversation for five or ten minutes. And um, he have, follows the spiritual discipline of having one word focus how his faith grows each year. And uh, the word that I've heard from the Spirit for 2021 is reconciliation. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out.
0: Well, there is certainly, like we said, there's a lot of reconciliation needed everywhere. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, I've I've really, really enjoyed working on the game. It's been I love collaborating on games and in this game has been different than anything else I've worked on. And, and even the feedback we've gone through has been consistently not the normal feedback I would get on one of my games that I've worked on, you know, by myself or with someone else. Like, and it's always interesting to where um, you, somebody gives you a piece of feedback and you're like, Oh, well that's not what I thought you were going to say. Like, I thought this was going to work and this other thing wasn't. And now you've, you've flipped it on its head. And, um, and for a game that like, it doesn't have a ton of moving parts no pun intended since a right. lot of the game is moving it really has changed so much um in the last several months as we've done more playtesting yes with different people and different publishers it's it's been really interesting to see the different feedback um and what people think about it
1: and that uh, and again it just highlights the absolute value of the playtesting um Thing. Uh, I am a sanity tester for the GameCrafter.com, uh, and um, I use the GameCrafter for pretty much all my prototyping. But one of the things I we do is offer a service called uh, sanity testing, where they will submit the game and its rulebook, and then there's a structured method of evaluating that and giving them feedback about how viable the game is. And I tell you, uh, a good seventy-five percent of the games I evaluate, it's very clear that they've never been play tested.
0: Wow! Yeah.
1: Somebody yeah. has said, "Boy, wouldn't this be fun?" And they get their best friend together and they play it. And he said, "Yeah, this will be fun. Let's make a game out of it." Right. And so they right. use they use the incredible prototyping tools of the game crafter, but then they say, "Okay, well now let's wait for the money to come in." But the sanity test says no. This is where you are. You're at the five. Right, right. You're at the five yard line. You're not at the <laughs> one. Yeah, and and it's your own five yard line. It's not the one yard line making a touchdown right. yet. Right, um, right. But it's also been gratifying to see see some of those games come together with that guidance. Uh, I, I watched right, game. absolutely. I saw a game for the third time um, last week that on a zero to a hundred scale had sur- scored 36 and 42. Uh, and, but then they came back and they paid attention to the results and did some play testing. And the next score was 80.
0: Nice. That's fantastic.
1: So, so it, it benefits the hobby because they, I mean, they're cool ideas, but they have to be playable. Yes,
0: <laughs> that is. Yes. That's important. Well, I have super enjoyed having this conversation with you tonight and having you on the show. Uh, it's you. been it's been a lot of fun. Is there anything right now um, you want to plug? You've got I know in Target Back to the Future: Dice Through Time uh, is available.
1: Uh, I, I'm just, and uh, I'm just so fun, uh, so overjoyed about Back to the Future: Dice Through Time. Uh, Chris Leader and Kevin Rogers and I um, put that together from from initial prototype to contract to ready to go into production was uh three months wow and uh and it's now for sale in in north america and europe and uh, two days ago i received in the mail a, a spanish and italian translation of the game nice which nice. I I would never even dare to dream that I would design a game that would be translated into the, into other languages, but the the icing on the cake was the Target toy catalog came out.
0: Yes, now, yes.
1: You are way younger than me, but when I when I was a kid, the Sears Roebuck and the Montgomery Ward Christmas catalog came out, and it had all the jewels of the universe in it, and I would never mm-hmm. even have imagined having something that i cr- created or helped create be in a christmas catalog but on my shelf right now is a target toy catalog with back to the future dice time in it so cool that's gonna do me for a long long time
0: so- yeah that's pretty cool i know i was looking through with my kids and was like uh i showed my son i'm like hey you see this game and he's like yeah and I'm like mr ken franklin designed this and he's like really wow <laughs> he's very excited that it was somebody he met uh so
1: so uh i i think uh, if i'm i'll just i I really don't want to plug myself because i'm very blessed um uh, but i do want to say uh i am very blessed to count you among my friends jason you're an incredible I appreciate individual that. same right and, back at you and uh and I enjoy playing games with you and, and designing games with you. And I really thank you for the podcast because I think it's an excellent service. And, uh, and I just wanted to let people know, um, play to grin. Don't play to win. Uh, My, my Twitter, my Twitter handle is Ken plays to grin. Uh, That's also my Instagram handle. You can also find me as Ken Franklin on Facebook. Uh, And, uh, and, Again, if you want to talk, I'll talk. And once we, if you want to go on Facebook to Franklin Farms game nights, we will let you know when our game nights restart. Uh, We we do some uh, online uh, game Zoom game nights, and uh, once in a while, and uh, I'd love to get set down uh, around the table with you.
0: Awesome. I I highly endorse it. It's a good time. Well, uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in tonight. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770 TellBtg. btg Find us on Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. And you can also find us on Facebook, iTunes, and all the other places. Uh, make sure to join our Discord channel if you're interested. Uh, all the bunch of listeners in there, myself, all the other hosts. We'd love to chat in there. Uh, talk about your games, talk about our games, talk about all sorts of stuff. So feel free to check it out. If you go to buildinggamepodcast.com and the Discord tab, you can find that uh, information. So thanks again for listening. Thank you again to Ken. And until next time, good night.
1: Good night. And subscribe to this podcast or weasels will come and eat your eyeballs.
0: <laughs> Thanks for that. Building the game which isn't in friends which isn't in friends building the game building the game which isn't in friends which isn't in friends dial 770 tell btg please don't use the email